the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. So the one whose birth that we celebrate is called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Eternal Father. Fourth and final name that Isaiah says he'll be called is the Prince of Peace. The prophet tells us that during the millennial kingdom, the Messiah will be known as the Prince of Peace, meaning that he won't rule as a ruthless tyrant, but he will be a benevolent peacemaker. And his reign will be characterized by peace, not by war. Welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. This is the last part of the message titled, His Name Shall Be Called. This entire three-part message is available on CD. I'll tell you how you can order one at the end of the program. Open your Bible now to the Old Testament book of Isaiah, chapter 9 and verses 6 and 7. Here with today's study is Pastor Steve. Years ago, I had a couple of Jehovah's Witnesses who came to my door, and as I was able to engage them in some conversation, hoping to share the gospel, they denied, as they always do, the deity of Christ. They might say he's the Son of God, but they do not believe he's God the Son, so don't be fooled by their language. They deny the deity of Jesus Christ, but I also knew that they had their pat answers. They've been indoctrinated, and they, they know how to answer certain objections, so I decided to take them to a passage of Scripture, a verse of Scripture, that I was pretty sure they had never even thought of. And and I want to show you Hebrews chapter 1, verse 8. I purposely went to this because I, I didn't think, and I was right, that they did not know how to answer this. But look at this. Could there be anything clearer about the deity of Christ than Hebrews chapter 1, verse 8? Now, the writer is quoting from Psalm 45, verse 6. So this is a quote from the Old Testament. Here's what he says in verse 8. But of the Son, he says, now this is God the Father, of the Son, or to the Son, here's what God the Father says. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. And the righteous scepter is the scepter of his kingdom. That is to say that God the Father speaks to the Son, and he calls him God. Not a God, not a little God, not junior, but God. He calls him deity. Now, the deity of Christ is not something that's difficult to see in Scripture unless one has a bias towards it and committed to to twisting Scripture. Jesus himself clearly claimed to be God. A number of times in the Gospel of John, they picked up stones to kill him. And Jesus said, why are you doing this? Is it for any work that I do, any good works? And I said, no, it's not for what you've done, but it's what you've said. You being a man claimed to be God. Listen, even his enemies knew that he was claiming to be God. He said, I and the Father are one. That's a clear claim of, of deity. He told Philip, Philip, he who has seen me has seen the Father. You want to know what God the Father is like? Look at me. 
because I'm, I'm the exact radiance of his glory. Jesus received worship as God. Thomas called him my Lord and my God. And Jesus didn't say, now, Thomas, that's getting carried away. No, I'm not really. He received it because that's exactly who he is, Lord and God. But notice, we go back to Isaiah. Isaiah didn't simply call Jesus God. He called him the mighty God. And why would he say that? See, the prophet's emphasis here is on his divine power, his strength, his might. In other words, unlike other Old Testament Jewish kings whose power was always limited, this divine Messiah King possesses absolute authority and all power without any limits. That's the point. So how does this great truth then affect our lives today? Well, in the context of Isaiah 9, it means that Jesus Christ will reign supreme in the kingdom age without any challenge to his absolute authority. But for us today, to know that Christ is the mighty God ought to have a profound impact on the way we live, not only in submitting ourselves to him as God, that's, that's a given, but in trusting him as God. Because it means that you trust Jesus Christ as the sovereign one, sovereign over all the affairs of your life, everything. You see, to recognize Christ as the mighty God means that you recognize that he governs and controls all the events of life, and that absolutely nothing occurs by accident or chance. This is what we studied a few months ago, Calvinism applied to our daily lives, that God is sovereign. Calvinism focuses on the one aspect of God's sovereignty in salvation, but the sovereignty of God is, is far broader than our salvation. It means he's sovereign over everything. We often use that expression, the sovereignty of God, God is sovereign. Well, what does it actually mean, though? Well, essentially, it means that he is all-powerful. He does whatever he chooses to do. Jerry Bridges, who wrote this magnificent book on the sovereignty of God called Trusting God, defines his sovereignty this way. He says, God is in control. He's sovereign. He does whatever pleases him and determines whether we can do what we have planned. That's a great statement. He determines what we can do if we can do what we've planned. This is the essence of God's sovereignty, his absolute independence to do as he pleases and his absolute control over the actions of all his creatures. No creature, he writes, person or empire can either thwart his will or act outside the bounds of his will. Now, folks, if this is true, and it is because this is what scripture says, that God is so mighty that no one can thwart his will or act outside the bounds of his will, then think of the ramifications of this truth in your own personal walk with Jesus. This means that you can trust him with everything in life. You don't have to worry. You shouldn't worry about anything because ultimately everything he brings into your life either comes directly from his hand or he allows it. That failed business venture, that illness or those illnesses, those frustrating and annoying people, and there were giggles in the first service when I said that, but you must be above that. Conflicts, broken relationships, problems, death itself. You see, the key to trusting God as you go through adversity is to believe what the Bible says about him, that God is almighty. He is the mighty God, as well as our loving and wise God. Now, many believers who wouldn't dare question God's love or his wisdom 
They do have serious problems believing that God is sovereign. And they do because they can't reconcile in their minds how God can be sovereign, and yet he does not force man to to go against his will. I don't understand that either. How do you reconcile divine sovereignty and human responsibility? Our friend Spurgeon said, I never try to reconcile friends. You don't need to reconcile it. God understands it. And he's presented both in Scripture. But some people have, have... a problem, believing that God is absolutely sovereign. But the scriptures are so clear that God is always upon his throne, ruling his universe, and that includes all of the details of our lives. Listen to Psalm 115, verse 3. Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. Whatever. He doesn't have to ask anyone's permission. He does whatever he wants. Now, most of us have no trouble believing that God is sovereign over the nations. That, that is one area that we tend to go. Oh, yes, he's sovereign over international affairs. And yes, he sustains the universe. But we tend to struggle believing that he is sovereign over people and various decisions that people make that affect our lives. Employers, teachers, coaches, military officers, parents, government leaders, relatives. We tend to struggle when they make decisions that we think adversely affect us, tend to struggle that God is not sovereign over that. Lord, how would you, why would you let that happen? But listen, listen to what scripture says about his sovereign control over people. Proverbs 21, one says, the king's heart is like channels of water in the hands of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. Let me read that again. The king's heart It's like channels of water in the hands of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. Now, the point of this verse is to teach that God is so sovereign, so powerful, that he has absolute control over the most powerful category of people on earth, kings. Kings, the highest of all human authorities. One Bible teacher described the thought of this verse with these words, the stubborn will of the most powerful monarch on earth is directed by God as easily as the farmer directs the flow of water in his irrigation canals. That's how it is with God. He just controls the heart of a, of a king. Now, if that's true, that all people come under his control, even the most obstinate and difficult ones, under the control of Almighty God, then can you trust him when people treat you unjustly? That's the question. Can you trust him or are you going to grow bitter? Bitter at God, bitter at people. Can you trust God and not become resentful when you're fired from your job or rejected for a position or disappointed by someone or even physically harmed? Listen, you can trust God. If you believe that Jesus Christ is the mighty God and therefore whatever someone does to you ultimately comes from him. Listen, there is a purpose for everything that God brings into your life. We know this from Romans 8, 28. Paul said, all things work together for good to those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. So everything is working together for good for believers. Those are the ones who love God. All things, negative, positive, things that are neutral, all working for good. Those who love God called according to his purpose. So what is his purpose? What is God's ultimate purpose in our lives? It is not simply to get us to heaven. It is to make us more like Jesus Christ in terms of character. That's why the very next verse speaks 
of being conformed to the image of his son. That's what God is doing in our lives. It's called sanctification. That's why he brings these disappointments into your life. He makes you more gentle, more holy, more humble, more understanding of others, more sympathetic, more thankful. Whatever he's doing, it's because he's sovereignly sanctifying you through life's difficulties. All things work together for good. You say, well, what if somebody does something evil to me? All things work together for good. The great Old Testament example of that is Joseph, sold into slavery by his rotten, evil brothers. And they were evil. But Joseph, eventually, under God's sovereign power, was brought into a position of being the prime minister of Egypt, whereby he preserved, because of the wisdom God gave him, he preserved the Jewish people from dying out because of famine. Here's what he said to his brothers. Genesis 50, verse 20. As for you, you meant evil against me. He didn't mince words. That is true. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. He's saying God overruled your evil for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. Listen, the point of all this is to say that the one born at Christmas time is God Almighty. You need to trust him as the almighty one, as the sovereign one, working out his perfect plan in your life. But Jesus isn't only called wonderful counselor or only the mighty God. Third name Isaiah says he'll be called is eternal father. Now, at first glance, this name for Jesus doesn't seem to be correct, doesn't seem to be theologically correct. How can Jesus be referred to as the father when he's not the father? He's the son. Within the Trinity, there is the father. There's the Son, there's the Holy Spirit. Christ is not the Father, the Father is not Christ. Yet Isaiah says that the Messiah will be called Eternal Father. So why does he say that? What does he mean by this? Well, it's always critical when studying the Bible, interpreting Scripture correctly, to determine what the words meant to the original readers. To an ancient Jewish person, the word Father would have meant author originator. For example, when we read in John 8, that Satan, Jesus said, he's the father of lies. It means that he is the originator. He's the author. He's the source of all lies. It comes from him. Likewise, when Isaiah says the Messiah shall be called eternal father, he means that he is the originator and author of eternity in the sense that he himself is eternal and everlasting. He never will die. Never. He didn't have a beginning. He doesn't have an end. And his rule, and this is the most important thing, his rule will last forever. That's the point of eternal father. Now, think how significant this prophecy would be to Israel in light of the promise of the coming of their Messiah to rule over the earth. You see, the entire history of Israel consisted of a long list of kings who reigned and then they died. Some were good. Some were quite evil. Good, godly kings would come and there would be blessing and righteousness for the people that they ruled over. But then they would die and they'd be replaced by evil, ungodly kings. And that would only result in their hardship. That's, that's the history of Israel. There was, there was no good king in the northern kingdom of Israel. Some good and godly kings in the southern kingdom of Judah after the split. But they came and they went. That's, that's the way governments are today. They change constantly, and how the people are treated depends upon 
who's ruling over them. But Isaiah's point, note this, is to say that with Christ, you never have to be concerned about a change because he's not going to die. He's not going to be put out of office. His rule is eternal. There will not be an end to his righteous reign. That's why he said in Isaiah 9, verse 7, there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. So what does this truth say to us today? It says that you are safe and you are secure under Christ's rule. Because there will never be a time when Jesus will step aside and allow another person to reign over you. If you're a believer, he will never forsake you. There will never be a time when he will stop caring for you. Never. Not now. Not in illness. Not on your deathbed. He'll be with you when you die. He'll provide for you forever. He'll be with us forever. He'll never abandon us. This is what Jesus said in John chapter 10. My sheep hear my voice. They follow me. I give them eternal life and they'll never perish. Never. And he said, they're in my hand. They're in the father's hands. So in a world of constant change, Jesus, the one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever promises to rule over our lives with perfect consistency. You know what? You can always count on him to do things that, consistent with his character he'll always be there for you so the one whose birth that we celebrate is called wonderful counselor the mighty god the eternal father fourth and final name that isaiah says he'll be called as the prince of peace the prophet tells us that during the millennial kingdom the messiah will be known as the prince of peace or the prince of shalom meaning that he won't rule as a ruthless tyrant but he will be a benevolent peacemaker And his reign will be characterized by peace, not by war. At the northern border of Israel, I've seen this with my own eyes, right before crossing into the country of Lebanon, there is a sign. It is really an engraved plaque with the words of Isaiah chapter 2, verse 4, at least part of the last part of the verse. Here's what it says. And they will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation and never again will they learn war. That's a marvelous truth. Never again will there be war. But that truth isn't for today. That truth is about conditions that will exist during the millennial kingdom. Peace will then be on earth. So how is Jesus Christ the prince of, of shalom, the prince of peace today. It's very simple. He alone can bring peace to your troubled heart by forgiving you of all of your sins. That's how he's the prince of peace. The Bible says that the biggest problem that man has, all of us, is that we need to be reconciled to God. We're sinners. And we are estranged from God because of our sin, because God is so holy. He must punish sin. If God doesn't punish sin, he's not God. God must punish sin. Therefore, man being estranged because of his sin needs to be reconciled. How can he get reconciled? It's not by going to church. It's not by being baptized, not by keeping the commandments, not by trying to be good, not by being confirmed or anything or any charitable deeds that he does. It is only when there is payment for his sin. That's why Christ came to earth. That's why he was born. He died on the cross, letting sinful man put him on the cross according to the plan of God so that he would die as the substitute 
substitute for our sins. He died for the sins of those who would believe in him, paying all of our sins, past, present, and future. And when you see that, that you are a wretched sinner who deserves punishment, but Christ has been punished in your place. God poured out his wrath on his own son. When you see that and you place your trust in Christ, you know what happens? The war is over between you and God. Reconciliation takes place. You now have entered into a relationship with Christ. Your sins are completely forgiven. God places on your account the very righteousness of Christ. The war is over. Being justified by faith, Paul said, we have peace with God. War is over. That's peace with God. But how do we get God's peace in our hearts? That's another subject. How do we have a tranquil spirit? How do we have a serene heart, a calm, poised heart? There are many believers who are at peace with God, but still they're very troubled. Well, the Bible says we have peace with God by faith in Christ, but the peace of God rules in our hearts when we trust him. When we stop worrying, when we trust him through the difficulties of life, when we cast all of our cares upon him, Paul put it this way in Philippians 4, 6 and 7. He said, be anxious for nothing. Did you get that? For nothing. Don't worry about anything, he's saying. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Don't just pray about it, but Cast it on him. Trust him. And the peace of God, which surpasses all human comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We don't need to understand how the peace of God works. We just can experience it. See, only when the government of your life rests upon Christ's shoulders will you be able to experience his peace. So the question is, do you have this peace? First of all, are you at peace with God? Have you trusted Christ to be your Lord and Savior? There are many people who think that they're Christians because they go to church, they know about Christ, they celebrate Christmas, they wouldn't deny who he is, but they have never personally trusted Christ to be their Savior. That's what the Bible says is necessary. That's how the Bible defines a Christian, one who is trusting Christ alone for their salvation. So if you do that, you'll be at peace with him. If you already know him, the question is, do you have his peace reigning in your heart? You can. You don't need to be troubled. You don't need to be anxious. Christ wants to be your peace and give you a tranquil heart. And this will be true when you'll see him as your wonderful counselor and take heed to his word. When you'll see him. When you see him as the mighty God, the one you can trust because he's sovereign over everything. When you see him as the eternal father who will never forsake you, no matter how difficult your life might be. When you see him as the prince of peace who has reconciled you to God because he loves you and he'll continue to love you and give you his peace. Let's bow for prayer. Father, thank you for this brief but very precious passage of scripture. Lord, you, you are everything and so much more that we have, we have studied. Thank you for being our wonderful counselor. Lord, continue to give us counsel. Continue to motivate us to be disciplined enough to spend time in your word, to heed your counsel. Lord, thank you for being our mighty God. Thank you for being sovereign. Help us to trust you as the sovereign one and to not lose sight of that. Thank you for being our eternal father, for being everlasting, for never forsaking us. Lord, thank you for giving us peace, making peace with the Father, and giving us 
the shalom in our hearts. May we go out of here being people who are at peace with you in all respects. And for those, Lord, who have never trusted you, I pray that you'll open their hearts to Christ even today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Steve, for those three messages on the names of our Savior, given so long ago by the prophet Isaiah. And my listening friend, I pray you may experience peace with God and the peace of God in the coming year. If you would like to listen to this study again, you can do so by going to our website, versebyverseradio.org. If you would like to order a CD of the entire three-part message, you can call Verse by Verse at 727-239-0306. That web address again is versebyverseradio.org. And the phone number to order a CD is 727-239-0306. Verse by Verse is a ministry of Lakeside Community Chapel located at 1893 Sunset Point Road in Clearwater, Florida. On behalf of Pastor Steve, we thank you for listening. On the next broadcast, we will begin a new series of studies, so plan to be with us. We on the staff of Verse by Verse want to wish you a very Bible-centered and Christ-honoring new year. I'm your announcer, Ken Anderson. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.